You know, I think it's like, I, th I think like, you know, for when things like this happen, right? It, it's whether it's again, like seeing this, seeing something like this and being like, oh, how do I, you know, have a professional face and stuff like that. You know, it, it's just like, sometimes you just have to just keep going, you know? I, I think that's, that's just, you just have to be very resilient and very like, just keep going. Everyone is a stranger until you know their story. The Power of Good Intentions is a show about people, their stories, challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. This show is here to remind you that there is always a path forward and that good things happen to people who have a good heart. I am Aliu Sidibe and I am your host. Today's episode is emotionally charged. It is a heart-to-heart -heart and raw conversation with one of my good friends and brother, Emmanuel Yamoa. As I'm sure you are aware by now, there was yet another murder of a black American George Floyd at the hands of a white police officer, and this has become a catalyst for protests across America and around the globe. Being black in America is not easy and that is an understatement with this episode my goal was to understand and give a glimpse into what it feels like being black in america i was not born and raised here and i always say that i only discovered i was a black man when i first came to the us in 2015. with everything going on it made me want to reach out to Emmanuel and hear his story. He was born and raised in the Bronx in New York, where he still lives today. Emmanuel has been able to beat the odds and get a job after college for one of the largest companies in the world, EY. You may remember from my previous episode with David, but none of this came without a cost. In today's episode, we talk about everything from his experience growing up as a black male in America, how that shaped him, to the letter he wrote to the president of Fordham Prep School after the school was looted in recent protests. Emmanuel also put together a list of places you can donate to in case you would like to help for the Black Lives Matter movement. You can have access to it in the notes to the show. This episode is a bit different than my other episodes as we not only talk about Emmanuel's story, but also about the recent events and what it means to be a black male in America. I'm sure you may have questions after listening to this, so please feel free to DM me on Instagram at the power of good intentions or at billionaires man club on my other page. Also, you can call in and ask a question by going to speakpipe.com slash T-P-O-G-I. Last but not least, I truly hope that you're taking care of your mental health. A lot of things have been happening lately and it is a lot to process. So make sure to really take care of yourself and I hope that you're staying safe. Thank you so much for listening. You know, first of all, you know, just let me say thank you, Emmanuel, for being here with me today on the podcast, you know, in light of recent events, of course, you know, in light of recent events and tragedy like George Floyd 
and you know countless orders that have been taken away from us you know i think it was very important that we do this to kind of really hear the story of what it feels like to be like a, to be a black man in america mm-hmm. first my my first question is like how do you feel this is like a very simple question but it is very loaded with the times we live in so like how yeah. how do you feel i i like how you open with this question because this is like every every other black person that i've talked to about this feel the exact same way and they are tired like they're very very tired like it's not even like cuz the thing is that it's really interesting the way that people outside of the community are reacting to this right because it's like it's like they it's like the the way in which people are marching the pain in their eyes the way they like they see these things it's like they saw it for the first time right but it's like the reason why i'm saying that people are like we're tired is because it's like this is not the first time this has happened right like this is not even like when they say say their names and stuff and they're doing these chants like they are doing like i mean 15 something names and they're just going and that's only some of them you know and this is these these are stories these names are videos and these videos is things that we have seen and we have ter- internalized we've had to suppress them we've had to see the videos see the stories and see all these things and then go to a workplace go to like school go to wherever we go to right afterwards and try to act like normal people and try to even like pick your battles about it because you're not gonna just bring it up and be like hey did you see this and how messed up this is because you don't know if that person is even going to listen to you or even going to care or like it is just they're tired you know so it's like the outrage that people are getting now is something that has been is just continued trauma over and over and over and over again you see what i'm saying so it's like that's, I think, something that's very important for people outside of the community to really understand, because like people are just tired, you know. Like, I I challenge you to ask any black person <laughs> how do they feel right now about all of this, and they're gonna say the same thing: we're exhausted. Yeah, you know, no, I, you know, I hear well, you, and it's it's between sadness, anger, hopelessness. Yeah. Like you, you, you but you, it's you like. Don't... Right, but the thing is that like you're feeling all of those emotions, but you felt it before multiple times over and over again, you know? So it's like, how many times are you just going to feel sad about it? How many times are you just going to feel that thing until you become complacent and you're just like, I'm tired, you know what I mean? True, true, true. And, you know, I I like the fact that you just brought up the workplace. So, like, I was reading one piece of someone said, hey, I just witnessed another black male being lynched, but... Yes, Ted, I'm going to have a deliverable due to you by Monday afternoon. So, like, how is it for you? Because, yeah, like, things happen, but our life are still going on. You know, like, I still have to do this podcast. You still have to work, Mm -hmm. like, things like that. Mm So, and the crazy thing is that something happened. I mean, Amon Arbery, like, he's... Uh, you know, did the you, killing did you see place. the new developments developments about that? Like the, no, uh, I didn't. Investigations. I didn't. It, it was even more darker than initially. Sorry to cut you off, but it was even more darker than initially. Like uh, led on because, like, even I just saw today. The they just did they just started the trial, so they were rolling out evidence that the investigation um, revealed, 
And like literally one of the defendants hit him with a car before they shot him and then called uh, an N-word and then shot him three times, you know? But the thing is that like, even before that evidence, there's definitely going to be people that are going to be like, well, you know, he, you know, he fought back and he created yeah. this stuff, you know, yeah. all, you know what I mean? Yeah. But even in that situation, evidence yeah. showed that it was even darker than it was, right? Yeah. So it's like, even, and they're showing the live stream of the trial. I don't even want to watch that. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, no, like, go I, just to watch that stuff because you don't want to read that kind of dark, like yeah. things over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I feel you. I feel you. It's the crazy thing, like you said, it happened two weeks ago. Like two weeks ago, we are in this, and then last week, George Floyd happens. You know, yeah. so like you're not even done processing what happened to like Ahmaud Arbery, and then you had Brianna Taylor, and you know, countless names like. So, and the thing that's insane, right, is that, like, I don't know if other people do this, but, like, when I see these scenarios, right, I always think about, it's like, can this happen to me? Like, what, what, like, you put yourself in that situation. And I don't know if it's something exclusive just to me or, my, or like, the Black community or something, but it's, like, it's something that you get to, like, when you're seeing these things happen, you're like, oh, man, like, this dude got attacked by a police dog. Like, can that happen to me? Like, oh, it, what, yeah. how did he get in that situation? I need to see more. Like, it is these mental gymnastics that you have to go through over and over again. That is not healthy. But, yeah. I, like, it is just a part of the trauma that we have to go through all the time. Yeah. No, like, you know, the first time, so as I told you, you know, I was born in Mali. I was raised all over Africa. So the first time I came to the U.S., uh, that was for the summer. I came in 2013. And that was the summer where Zimmerman killed uh, Trayvon Martin. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, we were around the same age. So at that point, I was like, you know, what did he do differently than I to, like, deserve this? You know, it's like, there's no reason. And it, it begs the question of dealing with mental health issues. Like, how do you personally take care of your mental health in times like this? And the, and the, thing, and the thing is, like, it gets progressively hard when like it's like it, it, you're starting to see that like there's just literally nothing they could have done to stop this you know like literally i think the thing that's so like insane about this whole george floyd thing is that like there is literally nothing he could have done to stop this like this dude was like i'm going to kill a black man today and there were and, and like the three cops around him was like we're gonna let him kill a black man today you know like people can people in the crowd are trying to stop it but like it got to a point where everyone got to the realization that this man is about to die right now, you know? And it's like, and it's like, it's so insane because it's like, when you're thinking about that whole like mental health and like mental gymnastics and stuff, you're like, okay, so there's just, there's just nothing I can do. Like I, it, he, he was just unlucky and I could be unlucky too, you know? And that's why I think that so many people are so passionate to go out and be like, we got to stop this because literally like, I mean, if, if like, if a dude can just use his job to commit murder, I mean, like, it's just, it's, what is the, what is the legal justice system? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 But you know, like in cases like this, cause you know, I try to, because obviously in every story, there are multiple sides, right? And you can always either look at the dark side. And like one thing I like Obama said yesterday was 
the difference between today and because it's easy to fall into thinking that there is no difference. Like, I mean, yeah. if you read letter uh, from Birmingham jail by MLK, like it's literally the same thing. Now, <laughs> MLK did talk about he did talk about how the news switched the narrative from the protests and riots without looking at what led to the protests and riots. And, you know, it's easy yeah, to switch yeah. the conversation mm -hmm. into, hey, this is happening. People are like going to target. People are doing X, Y, Z without talking about what caused it. But, right. you know, but one, Ali, one great point. Sorry. Let me let me let me uh, conclude that out. So, like one point that Omar brought up is the difference today is that we have way more people going out and you also have non-black people going out, which is a good thing. Right. So, yeah. like in the in aspect of mental health, like you, how are you, Emmanuel? taking care of your mental health because i think in order to fight you need to be alive and you need to be able to contribute contribute right so yeah. like how do you because yes it's hard it's hard it's hard it's hard like we cannot say that enough like every single time it feels like every two months every month we are in this but how do you cope with it what helps you personally at least I know you have to take time to process events, right? You have to let your feelings, don't judge them, let everything come to the surface, just feel your feelings. But after that, what, you know, what helps you? I think it's, I mean, I think I'm very lucky to have like a good support system. I think that, you know, like just, and I think that's, that's the reason why so many people are so empowered to make change because of the fact that you mentioned like so many people that are not black are going out there, you know? So it's like, it, you don't really feel alone if you have people that see you and empathize with you and are listening, you know? And I think that like, that is a big thing with like coping with this kind of stuff. Because like, I think this, especially with this case, a lot of people are just like, you know, from people that I've worked with, from friends, they're like, are you okay? How are you dealing with this time and stuff like that? And even though, like, I do say, like, it is exhausting to kind of, like, reiterate and go over that kind of stuff. It is refreshing to know that there are people in your corner that stand with you, you know? And, like, that does help with that, you know? Because, like, there were times that, like, especially this time is different because of the whole pandemic and the way that things are, we're kind of like, yeah, right, that we're in our houses, right? But the thing is that, like, you know, in a regular time, especially in the Trayvon Martin situation, I had to go to school. Like, you had to go to school, and you and people had to go to work. People had to process this trauma while keeping kind of like a professional face, you know? And it's like, it's not, it's now becoming more of a thing to have more of a support group. And like, especially for the company that I work for, you know, like they're like a lot of the black leaders are having, you know, calls for people to say, hey, call in and just met, you know, people, black coworkers are reaching out to me and saying, hey, like, you know, I'm the only black person in my engagement. You're probably the only black person in your engagement. Let's go on a call and let's just talk and vent, you know? I mean, that's what happened um, for an unrelated topic. This is what happened when Kobe Bryant died. Um, because when Kobe died, that really hurt a lot of people, including me, right? But the thing is that, like, I remember that day I had to go to Chicago on an engagement. And, like, um, 
I'm one of two black people in my engagement. And I remember my friend Wyatt, he was like, yo, like, are you, are you okay? Like, what, like, are you processing this thing? Like, how, how what happened with this? So then we talked and we had, like, just aired it all out. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things, it's like a support system and definitely reaching out and hearing other people in the community and how they're processing it definitely helps with that as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, no. being, because, like, internalizing this by yourself is a very scary place to be in. True, true. I think there is nothing worse than that because you can have all kinds of crazy thoughts. You yeah. know, it, it reminds me of what one thing Oprah said is like every single person you will meet only wants to know three things. Do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean something to you? Exactly. And I think uh, I, I like the fact you brought, out, you brought that up about your community. One, you know, now to fully really transition because my goal today is really to understand what it feels like to be a black male in America and through your story, walking someone through, obviously you're not speaking for all black males, but you're speaking for yourself. And I think this is very important. So when you were growing up, right. And you can walk us into where you grew up and neighborhood and things yeah, like that. Yeah. What, when did you first realize that? Yes, you were black. So, like, I'm from the Bronx. I lived in the Bronx my entire life. And, like, I have, in middle school, um, we made the transition for me to go from public schooling to private schooling. And I don't know how, you know, how well you know New York, but I went, from a pri- I went from public schools in the Bronx to private schools up in Westchester. So it was in the suburban, like, predominantly white neighborhoods in New Rochelle. And that was that was definitely an eye opener. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I'm one of like five black people." <laughs> so that is when you really like it slaps you in the face because you're like, "I, I one of the one of like the second tallest kid in the school, and two, I look like nobody here." So that's just the biggest slap in the face. You're like, "Okay, I'm different, right?" So then you have to go through kind of like all of those social barriers and things like that right like how do you relate to people that have never lived where you lived or don't understand the things that you understand and you're doing this in middle school right so that's when and it's like you're doing this in middle school and you're also bouncing back because i obviously go home in the bronx right so it's like you're bouncing back between where you live and when you go to school so i've had to have that kind of like bouncing back and those like gymnastics pretty much from a young age right but like when it comes to like things of police brutality, right? The first striking time that it was like, oh, things are like different, but these are like different that and it can affect you very, very quickly was the Trayvon Martin situation. Because that was when that was when like we were so young at that time that we were just like, wait, yeah. like, I mean, he, he was wearing he was wearing a hoodie and had Skittles and in Arizona. Yeah. Like I did that like that summer. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it was so raw. So it was like oh, this is, like, real, and this can really affect you. Because it's a different thing if you watch, like, MLK stuff or you watch things about slavery in school and stuff and you think it's so distant that you don't think it can affect you, right? You just think that racism is a thing of a past until that point, until it's not, right? And I think that a lot of, that's, like, a lot of times how it is for a lot of Black people that it's, like, 
you know, people think that racism is a thing of the past until it's not. Until it's like, oh, like, sure. I just yeah. got pulled over I- and I have, like, a gun in my face or something. Or I just got, like, racially profiled at, like, a store or this stuff happened. Like, until it's up in your face, that's when you really realize it, you know? Or have I- a friend. Yeah, have you personally been treated differently because you were black and like you kind of knew it was because of that? Um, oof, tough question, man. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> I think it's well, I, I'm gonna turn it over to you. How, how do you do you think that? Have you, have you dealt with something like that? I think I have when you like, are you talking about here in the US? Because, you know, the, the main goal where I wanted to have you is because you were born and raised here. So, like, I only came here 2015. But to share one experience where, yes, I was really different as a black man is in 2009, uh, I was sent to France and I was getting a hip surgery in the hospital, right? Yeah. And when you get out of the surgery, obviously you are in bed and you can't do much. You know, you're just laying down, recovering. And so usually, like, you have uh, you have buttons to call nurses in hospitals, right? And so I was laying down. There was water on the table, but I couldn't reach it. It was kind of far away. And then there was a lady who uh, I, I pressed a button to call someone. And I, when they came, I was like, hey, can I have some water, please? And I literally said, please, because my parents would always say, make sure you say please when you ask things to people and all that. So... Yeah. I ask, and the first thing she says is, you Africans always think you're kings. And bear in mind, this lady is not black. So, (laughs) yeah, so that was, yes, that was a time when I was treated differently because I'm black. But, you know, that that can be even things such as someone changing demeanor when they talk to you versus when they are talking to, to, I don't know, someone else, you know. Because it's like, it's, that's why I was like, it's such a tough question because it's like, you don't understand. It, it, it's so normal to you that you don't even know if it's different unless if it's compared to the experience of a white person, right? Sure. So it's like, you know, it's it's hard to pull that out. But I guess one example that was glaring, it wasn't in the US, but it was when I was traveling in Europe. I went to a store. It was, it was, I, was a, I was in a store, I'm a tourist with me and my friends, and like this lady, was i guess the owner of the store and you know how like the owner of the store will, sit, will stand near where the door is yeah and i remember like you know there's one part of the store there's a big wall and then you go around to the other part of the store right so i'm like window shopping looking around and she's just like is he gonna buy something what is he doing wow wow uh, yeah. and, and then i remember like i saw in the corner of my eye and i was like Okay, let me just go to the other part of the store just to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes and follows me there. I was like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> so I was making sure that my hands were like where she yeah. could see it, so to know that I'm not pickpocketing or running out of her store. Yeah. I didn't buy anything. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not gonna buy anything in a place where I'm being like treated like this. But it's like one of those things that's like, you know, it's not just in the US, right? Yeah. There's many other places. Yeah. Right. It, it's a thing that we just have to face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's just something that can come out of the top of my head. I'm sure, you yeah. know, even after we talk, I'll probably have to think of an example that, that that did happen here. But. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 
what does it mean to be like a black male in America today for you? Today. I think um I think that you have to just by like, just being a black person that like every person that it is just you have to fight a lot. Like a lot. You know, it, like it's just like even and it doesn't even matter like what socioeconomic class that you're in you have to fight a lot to kind of hold on to your sense of normal you know what i mean and this goes from someone this can be from someone that lives in the bronx and has to work like 12 hour shifts and is on minimum wage but the coronavirus hits so you're deemed an essential worker so now you have to have all this ppe and risk your life just to earn minimum wage and all this stuff But then, you know, on top of that, like riots and stuff is happening in your neighborhood. So they're burning the stores you get food from. Like, it's just like incessant. You always have to start, like, just fight for your sense of, like, normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and even in, like, and even to even go further and even in the middle class, like, um, I consider me and my family, like, middle class. Like, they came from Ghana. And the thing that they were really, they really emphasized was education, you know? And even now, they are still paying off, like, student loans. Like, they have to deal with that, right? And that these are things that, like, first-generation families have to deal with because it's like, okay, if I come here, I need to, I want to get this type of position, so I have to, like, go through schooling again, even though I have schooling from where I was and I have to do all of that. So debt is a big thing too, right? So it's like, you can live above, you can, like you have the, you have the financial potential to live above your means, but like there's so many different factors and so many unfortunate things that's making you not, right? Yeah. And even, it just, it just goes on and on. Even people who are just, like even people who are affluent have to deal with the fact that, oh, my kid got into Harvard, but is it affirmative action? You know, and are there kids in this high school like like talking about it and they have to deal with that? You know, like it's just you have to constantly fight no matter what socioeconomics class that you're in. Yeah. It is just is just something that you just have to deal with and you can't escape. Yeah. You know? It, it's, it's like it's, you're you're constantly working with like a label that you you yeah. have to fight against. Yeah, you you just have to fight against, right? Because there's so many different things that just works against you. Like when people talk about the whole social, like systematic injustices, people will immediately think about okay, maybe like the impoverished neighborhoods. But it's yeah. like there's so many different systematic things that just mess up black people in general that people just don't really talk about or even acknowledge, right? Like what what um, kind of stuff? If you can go in depth, like, I know one thing I learned about recently is like, you know, redlining for school district. So like how, you know, schools are funded through like property taxes and obviously black neighborhoods have less fundings for the schools. So you have like overcrowded schools. And I guess that goes back to your point of you going to a school in a different neighborhood, right? Right. But the thing is that I was in a public school that had those issues, right? Like, I was in an elementary school that had those issues. So, like, again, like, when it goes to these, like, systematic issues, right, in the impoverished neighborhoods, you can really see it in, like, real time, right? Like, when an economic wave comes in, you see, like, 
four or five stores in your block have, you know, for lease signs, like in a week, you know, like you see all of these things in real time and it affects people in a really, really deeper way than somebody that would just have, you know, a financial cushion that was passed from them from the generations before. Yeah. Especially if you're a first generation, you're trying to make, you know, a living here. Like you have, yeah. you literally have an absence of capital that le- that other people just have, <laughs> just True. by existing. True. And insane. you know, knowing knowing all of this and our experiences, and I say our buddies, I haven't really grown up here, so I don't want to be like an imposter and just say, you know, I I can I I relate to everything. But understanding all of this, do you think that it is? our role to try to to go back to what we talked about earlier, try to educate, I guess, non-black people, because that's another thing that can be tiring. Like, you know, the, the concept uh, yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> so it's, you, like, it's like, we didn't choose to be Martin Luther King by trade, right? We didn't choose to be Malcolm X or these activists or whatever by existence, right? Yeah. So I don't blame people who are like, I don't blame people sometimes we're just like man like i want to go out there i want to educate people but i'm just tired like i don't <laughs> you know yeah i get that i get that because those conversations can get tired especially if the other side is not coming at it from a genuine perspective because yeah. i've had conversations like that where it feels like you're talking to a wall like it really feels like that it's like you will bring up points and then they would say yeah like this is only one murder and he was resisting. Um, look at where his hands was. Yeah, the cop was scared for his life. That's yeah. why I shot him ten times. Like it, it's just it goes on and on. Dude. Yeah, it goes on and on, and it gets to the point that you're just like, should I just pick my battles with this guy? Like, just not talk about it, or should I like, you know, it gets tiring. So I do understand people who are just like, I can't. I don't. I just feel like I don't want to wear this hat anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. One thing I, I want to talk to before I bring up the other point is, so you recently penned a letter to Reverend Christopher Devron of Fraud and Prep. Yeah. What made you want to do that? And what were the feelings and emotion going through your head when you were writing that? Like, why did you feel the need to write that? Um, so I think going back to the whole coping thing that we were talking about before, I just really... Like, this was right after, I don't know if you saw, like, in June 1st, when Trump was giving his speech and then gassing people at, like, the same time and stuff. Um, Yeah, I remember seeing that, and I was just like, oh, my God, like, what, what is going on, you know? Because it's like, it it, it was so jarring and shocking to me, right? So I think at that time, it really forced me to want to act and do something. And it wasn't... you know, I haven't been out in the protest and stuff. So I was like, what is the best way I can, who can I reach out to? What is the best way I can use my voice? So I immediately thought of Fordham Prep because I was like, okay, like I came from Fordham and I know for a fact that there are going to be kids that are going to graduate Fordham Prep and become either cops or going to be in like very important positions of power. Like those are the new generation of people who, you know, the world is in their hands, you know? So I really wanted to make like a very passionate case to the faculty to be like, yo, 
like what this is, what is going on right now, like the chaos and the things that's going on, you know, the fact that Fordham Road, like the community around Fordham Prep was like rioting and all of this madness is happening. Don't let this just don't let this opportunity like go away. You know, use this opportunity to really turn the page of the of like Fordham Prep community as a as a as a whole, and to really look at how like the values and the way that the culture within Fordham Prep is. You know, and like yeah. again, I spent four years there and I loved it, right? But the thing is that like my experience could have been completely different. From somebody else and somebody else could have been dealing with a lot of different like microaggressions like just straight up racial racist situations and stuff like that or there could be somebody who just has these kinds of biases and nobody would know you know yeah. and it's just and it's, it's not even a fault by the faculty or by anybody but it's just because you know they just wasn't paying attention right but this was a very big call to action to be like yo like this what is going on is like the world is basically on fire because of a lot of failures from a lot of important people. Right. And there's going to be a time where these students are going to be very important people and they're going to be part of the change to fix a lot of the things that are going on right now, you know? So it was definitely like a very impassioned thing to send to the president. Reverend um, Deverham is, um, he's a president of Fordham Prep. So I wanted to send it to him so he can at least send it to the faculty and then the faculty can send it to the student and it can just trickle down, you know, and at least it's something, I mean, like, again, I'm just an alumni, but I just wanted to have those thoughts conveyed to the alumni, I mean, to the faculty. Yeah, no, you know, I think, I believe this is very important because, you know, as part of the fight for the cause, as as part of everything we can do. In a team, you need different type of players. Not everyone can be out in the protest. Not everyone can be doing the same things. And you need people yeah. to do different things. And this makes me want to bring up ways. What What do you believe are different ways that people can help? Because one thing that happened is, yes, Blackout Tuesday. But, you know, beside Blackout Tuesday, I think, I, I hope people didn't just post without doing anything. Because the whole point of Blackout Tuesday is to like actually, you know, take time to maybe sign petition petitions, donate money if you have the means. I think you and I are both in privileged positions. Like we've we 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 are we have to be grateful for everything we have, right? To be even yeah. able to like be here sitting here today without having to go out, work a minimum wage job, you know, yeah. looking to, to, to get paid. But what are some ways that people can help? Yeah, so uh, this is a very important question, and I feel like a lot of Black people are getting this question from people outside of the community. They're like, how can I help? What can I do? You know, Because this is going back to what we said before. This is the first time that people who are outside of the community are finally like experiencing and seeing the pain that we've been dealing with for so many years, right? So I think that it's very important to not really give like vague talking points, like fight systematic injustices in the mm-hmm. criminal justice system or, you know educate yourself like be very specific you know so like um i'm going to compile like some bill funds and things like that that people can donate to because a lot of people who are exercising their right to protest are getting like just arrested a lot um 
a lot of them are kids that are literally our age. Yeah. So these are things that like, it's not like people would like to think like, Oh, it's just the looters that are getting arrested. But no, like a lot of people who are peacefully processing are getting arrested as well. Right. True. Um, even I think like, the mayor's daughter got arrested like something insane. really yeah like yeah. the, the black daughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she got arrested too like it's like you know so yeah definitely donate to these um yeah. the bail funds in whatever state you're in i don't know like how many like where people are located that listen to this podcast but i'm sure it's like all over in new york wherever but yeah um, um, donate to the- i can put links you know on my page and in the notes of the show in case people would like yeah. to access so if you can like send me that after you know yeah yeah for sure and then also like when it, when going to the whole systematic um like the systematic issues that are present right there's there's been a very big like lack of accountability when it comes to the police force um and this is kind of because like You know, if a regular citizen goes and commits murder, their kind of their process to justice is very different from the public servant that is a police officer's path to justice. And that's the reason why a lot of times people are like, wait, why did it take so long for these four cops to get convicted or to get a charge and all of these things, right? So you have to kind of look into what are the laws and legislations that are allowing these things to happen. And one of them is called qualified immunity. And qualified immunity, I actually pulled this up, is basically a list of basically these points that basically, if uh, is basically designed that it is a, a law that is designed to protect all but the plainly incompetent or those who knowingly violate the law. So if a jury cannot prove this without a benefit of the doubt, it's not like if a prosecutor can't like prove that yeah. without benefit of the doubt that they are literally like out of the bounds of qualified immunity, then you just it's just it's, you can't do anything about it. So that's why so they would so, they would yeah. let the killers go away if they cannot prove. Oh, is that yeah. what you're saying? Because yeah, because the thing is that like that's why the video was so important, you know, and that's why the video, yeah. which had to be that gory and that crazy, was so important. Because the thing is that like you know that this man was literally knowingly violating the law. Of course, like you you see him kneeling on his neck. Yeah, for eight minutes and thirty seconds, like. Crying out and all this stuff, and he's just like whatever, and hands in his pockets, he's cuffed, and all that stuff, right? So he he is well without the bounds of qualified immunity. But the thing is that like that can't be the only bar in which you have justice. Yeah, <laughs> you can't just be like, okay, well, you know, we're only going to convict the people who like grossly kill people. Like that isn't <laughs> how that works, you know? Yeah. So. Sure, sure. There's been a very big push to kind of repeal this, especially when it comes to police officers, because this has been one of the biggest things that has been kind of been serving as like the way that if you fall within a certain gray area, we just throw away the case completely, you know, and this has caused so many different police officers to get acquitted a lot. Yeah. Another... yeah. This, I mean, this brings up the point of the important, uh, the importance of, of voting, you know, because yes. how those laws are passed is not 
and when I say voting, it's not only about voting for the president, but you know, voting for the munip- municipals, for the mayor, and you know, lower offices compared to the president. And, Dude, I'm yeah. not gonna lie, to you, man. There are people like, like most people don't know who like local, um, local political offices are. You know, in their county, they don't know like any of these things, right? So it's like that's when the research comes in. Because again, I can say all of these laws, I can say all of these things that are, you know, creating a system where a police is able, like the police is held to a different standard. But this is like held from, the system is held from law, is made from laws that is letting this happen. And these laws are passed by people who are letting this happen. So it's up to you to make that type of research and to see like, okay, is this happening in my state or in my county? Who are the people in charge? How can I vote them out? Like, what are they about? Like all of these things, you know? Because again, it's, and it's a lot of like boring work, but this is the stuff that you can do to dismantle that system, you know? And another thing is, um, uh, there's a law, it's called uh, 50A. I don't know if you heard about it. So basically, it is a law that basically um, it kind of hides the police records and the information from the public. So okay. do you know how? Like, remember when we when Chauvin got um, charged? Then people were like, "Wait a minute, he has eighteen of eighteen yeah, violations." Yeah, like, yeah. Police violations? How did that happen? Yeah. Like, why are people like? Why didn't we catch this sooner? Well, yeah. if it's if it's if this is information that cannot be given to the public, yeah, and people within the Minneapolis the police department know about this, is <laughs> basically they're like, okay, yeah, we kind of know he's a racist, but you know, go into the neighborhood and go police. That's essentially yeah. what. Like it, it's it's insane. So yeah. if this is not public record that you have eighteen police brutality cases, it's obviously these things would happen, right? Because yeah. if you have a trend, if you have a pattern, uh, what? How are you stopping these situations from from happening, right? So it's yeah. like opening up this to the public is able for us to see. Where these pat- where these troubled people are, and is yeah. there a trend? Is there a pattern? If you have eighteen police brutality cases, maybe you should not be a cop. Yeah, know? I think that's the police department might want you to be a cop. Yeah, but maybe the general public that you're policing may be like, "No, nah, we don't want you to be a cop," yeah. right? Yeah. So it's like these kinds of things that are kind of like shielding cops. And again, like I think I saw I saw um, an interview from um, the NYPD commissioner. And in that, he was talking about 50A, and he was talking that, he was basically saying that, you know, we can't repeal it because we, we it has to protect the police families. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That is, that is pretty fair. Because again, like, policemen are not the most well-liked people in America right now, right? Yeah. So obviously, if they're, where they live is public information, that could be very dangerous for very for a lot of innocent people, including those innocent police officers, right? Yeah. So we don't know, like, repealing it can definitely be a very 
it could be something that could be very dangerous for police on the other side, right? Yeah. But definitely changing that law so that like trends of police brutality or trends of, of abuse of power can be for public information, yeah. that is that is a very needed step forward. So you know? so basically your, your your call to action is really for people who really want to help is to like educate themselves on those topics and really vote. Yeah, like that's the thing. But the thing is, yeah, like literally the call to action is what I'm doing now is to like look up these laws that are coming up and it's creating these systems and then one educating and telling people about it and then gathering and then literally like gathering together and voting these laws to change yeah. you know like that yeah. is that is the call to action that is what because the thing is that like you can protest and you can do all these things but unless if you have people that are changing legislature, nothing's going to change. True, true. Nothing's going to change. That's so. true. You know, in, in your letter to like uh, the reverend, you, you you say that this is one issue that you don't know if it will be resolved in your lifetime. And I, I found that to be really deep. But, and I do hope that it is something that, it, it is a long road, but I hope that it is something that we can really make big change and build on what has been done before us. But, because the issue, the reason why I said that, right, is because yeah. like all the things that I'm saying is boring and it's long, you know, and it takes a lot of continued, like, just persistent work to do that. Yeah. And and we've seen that, like, unless if 50 states, the like every single state in America is protesting, things are getting turned on fire. You know, the president is being forced to hide in his bunker. Like, all of these things happen. Change, you know, like, that yeah. is what, what needs to happen to incite change. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of I mean, this. Change is, you know, change is never peaceful. One, one thing I, I actually wanted to hear you reflect on is, like, two quotes that I pulled up. Like, one from James Baldwin where he says, uh, if the American Negro, the American black man, is going to become a free person in this country... The people of this country have to give up something. If they don't give it up, it will be taken from them. And another quote that MLK said is, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. And I think, you know, people, obviously, uh, I do not condone the the looters and usually the looters is small minorities of protesters and sometimes they're not even part of the protest most people who are out to protest have good intentions they are out because they want to be here they are not out to destroy things but i tell you like look like these looters you know the reason why i wrote that letter you know one of the big emo like push for me to write that letter was because i saw fordham road get just overtaken by looters and set on fire you know, because I saw how that can set back a community. So it's yeah. like, it's it's annoying when I see people try to conflate protesters and rioters and looters and all that stuff. Because it's like, no protester wants to see the communities that they're fighting for be set back. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, I've seen protesters like do a, like a chain in front of a target to stop people from trying to loot it. You know, yeah. but it's like, again, when these things happen, just like in Ferguson, right? When these things happen, people try to undermine the message because they don't want to listen. 
So they're gonna just see like, oh man, look at the looters! Oh my god, like what? Oh my, why? Why can't they be peaceful? Why are they doing all yeah. this stuff? Blah, blah, I don't know blah, if blah. you know. Like, about they the don't con- want to listen. Have you heard about the the history behind the the peaceful Negro? Like no. it's basically you know the theory that yes, like slaves came against their will, but then they kind of worked peacefully, and then slavery was abolished without including the fact that they were literally. Slavery revolts every single day on the plantations. Like, you know, but they try to make it seem that, yes, black people, I don't know, because of their condition and things like that, they need to be okay with, you know, some some things. Like, so they have to be peaceful and, you know, it's like, yes, protest, but please don't do it this way. Or like, you, I, yeah. I, saw, I saw someone say something that really, um, it really interested me, right? Like, do we i feel like there's some people that just don't that don't really want us to be peaceful but they just want people to just be quiet yeah yeah i just think they want us to just be quiet and i think that like you know peaceful is a nice way to say you know stop being so loud yeah stop stop making such a stop making such a mess of these things you see what i'm saying and that go again that goes back to when this case when like before this case you know Black folk had to pick their battles because they didn't want to be loud. They didn't want to be that person. They didn't yeah. want to do all this stuff. Like it, again, like there is a. De- I feel like there, people need to think very critically when people say these things. If that person wants people to be peaceful, or if they want them to be quiet. Yeah. You know. True. True. But one one thing I I do know is that people wouldn't be out if everything was normal. Like, like MLK said in his letter. It's not about, like, let's not focus on the symptoms now. Like, it's like, yes, people are out. Let's focus on why people are out and how do we make sure that people are not out again? Because people are out for a reason. They are not out because it's it's cool to protest, because it's whatever. It's like they have to. But, you know, to to switch back to you personally, because I think if we always talk about lows and outside things, we can get lost. I want to really hear your story is... Thank God, you know, you've been able to achieve success for yourself. I mean, you're in corporate America where literally only 10% of black people have bachelor degrees. And even to get to a job like the job you have today, you've been blessed and you've worked hard for it, obviously. Yeah. And now what is, I guess, your hope for the future generation? What is uh, things that you yourself, you want to keep doing to kind of really make change happen in regard to this? So I'm glad you asked this and I hope that, you know, you've interviewed a lot of very like powerful people who have a lot of capital and a lot of influence and things like that, right? So something that I think they I think that people should think about, right? No matter if you are a protester to going outside and stuff like that, is that how are you using the influence, the network, the capital, all of the stuff that you have to make a difference, right? Because again, like, I'm not out there protesting, right? But I I have a relationship with the president of um, my high school. Like, we were, we, were, we were close. So I'm able to send him an email and relay my thoughts and have those thoughts trickle down into the school, hopefully, right? So... That's just an example of a way that you can make a change without going out and protesting or going out 
and doing these kinds of things, right? And so many people, especially in, especially in the company that I work for and the people that you've interviewed, have a lot of capital and they have a lot of influence and they have a network, man, you know? So it's like, and, and I'm sure they have kids that are out there protesting and things like that, but it's like, don't just watch your kids go and protest. Like, understand why they're protesting. Watch the same videos that they're watching. Educate themselves. Educate yourself for the same things that they're educating themselves. Like, go out and use your network with the same passion that they're going out and protesting. That's what I want them to do. You know what I mean? Because, like, again, I'm only like what 23. Like, I, I don't have that much power to do many that many things i, I mean no don't capital. say that i would, I would uh, say don't say that you you <laughs> have you have a lot of power i mean that letter was really powerful uh I mean, the things you've been you, sharing like, you know like we can all i don't know like donate a little bit of money mm-hmm. like sign petitions like and things like that yeah, yeah. Like I'm doing all I can. I've donated to, you know, bill funds and stuff like that. But it's just like I can only do so much, right? Yeah. And it's like there's so many people, you know, in places of power who have amazing careers, who have, you know, fought through a lot of like adversity, who have been in probably like neighborhoods rougher than mine, who have, you know, faced so many different types of challenges. That this is a time that you could do something that's beyond your career. And you can, yeah. this is the time that you can make a change that's beyond your career. You know what I mean? Because so is, again, is that the goal you're applying, like you're trying to apply for yourself too? I mean, yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, that I, I, I get to a point where I'm able to have like more influence and more power and more capital and things like that. And that, you know, instead of writing a letter, you know, I can... One thing I would say, though, is, like, give yourself credit because I feel like you're saying instead of writing a letter, like, no, like, I think we are all in positions to make change. Like, change can be talking to your brother in pain, picking the phone and calling a friend. Change can be, you know, like, giving 10 bucks to, to a play. Change can be signing a petition. Change can be sharing something with someone who you think may have an impact, like the letter you did. So... Yeah I, yeah, I don't believe in the, in the, I mean, the whole reason why I started this podcast is because I, I wanted to do something. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. you, I don't think you need to get to a point where magically it would be like, hey, I have power and yeah, capital. Yeah. So, oh, like, give yourself credit. Like, give yourself credit. I think, you know, it, it's great the things you've been doing. And, you know, hopefully you get the chance to do more of it. Because yeah. one of my favorite quotes by Tony Robbins is, you know, money only makes you more of what you already are. So the more money you get, the more you will get the chance to be who you actually are. Because if yeah. you're a jerk without money, you will be a jerk with money. If you're a great person yeah. without money, you will be a great person. How do you overcome? So you mentioned that, you know, being part of the uh, system, you feel like you're oppressed and you have things to go against. But how do you overcome that struggle? You know, I think it's like, I, I think like, You know, for when things like this happen, right? It's whether it's again like seeing this, seeing something like this, and being like, "Oh, how do I, you know, have a professional face and stuff like that?" You know, it's just like sometimes you just have to just keep going. You know, I think that's that's just you just have to be very resilient and very like 
just keep going, you know? And, and I, I was talking to a friend about this and, and, you know, uh, there's a lot of 2020 memes about like, oh man, July is coming. Aliens are coming and stuff. Like, it's like, <laughs> like what's next. Right. Yeah. And it's tough because it's like, you know, it's just, we, we have three different crises happening at like the same time, you know, they're oh, like sure. the economy is blowing up. There's a pandemic. And then this, right. It's just like, yeah. like how much more till people just give up because it's like, it is historically when things like this happen, you have to just pick yourself up and just keep walking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think uh, keep, uh, that's the only thing we can do. I mean, time only goes in one direction and mm -hmm. keeping hope alive is the only thing we can do. My last question for you is, uh, one question I ask all of my guests is, when you're 80 years old and you look back at your life, the life of Emmanuel Yamoa, like what will make you say, hey, Emmanuel, you really did a good job. You can pass away peacefully. Like you did, you did your part. What is that thing? Yeah, so like, so around like January, right? That's when Kobe passed, right? And Kobe was like a very big, like, very big influence in my life. Like, he was like one of my heroes, okay? Like, I love, I, I played basketball because of Kobe Bryant, right? So when he passed, you know, I knew him as like this person that was so great at basketball, you know, that won a lot of championships. It was just an all around amazing athlete. But it wasn't until after he passed that you get to see just like the impact that his life had on so many different people and how like it wasn't just about basketball, but it was like basket, like he was so good at one thing that he used that to make an impact in so many different areas and was able to make a change in so many different areas, right? Because it's very easy to just, you know, like, get a nine to five, go up the corporate ladder, be really rich, boom, and that's it, right? It's very easy to do that, right? But it's different when you are like insanely good at what you do or you are at the top of what you do and you're using that to make impacts in many different places. You know, like Kobe had like a VC, man. Like he had like a book company, he won an Oscar. Like he was trying to bring the WNBA back. Like, he was doing so many different things after he retired. And, like, if you think about it from when he died, from when he stopped playing basketball, it's not that long of a time, period. Yeah. Like, it's not that long. But yeah, like, only three and a half years, literally. Like, his yeah, last game was, like, three and a half years ago. Yeah. Right. But the thing that's, like, insane is that the things that really touched people is what he did in, like, three years. You know, like when you saw like his funeral and stuff and you saw like people talk about him or like the impacts that he made, this is after he became Kobe Bryant and then the impact that he was doing and shaking and touching the world, you know? So like, this is not even just like for me, but I think that a lot of people should aim to just like definitely focus on something and be really good at it. Right. But it's like using that to be beyond that. So your, your goal is to like, when you're 80, like literally is to like be able to look back and say, not only I did, I guess, success in conventional metrics, like corporate ladder and all that, but I was able to also impact people in different ways. Bingo, yeah. That's like the biggest, I think that's the biggest measure of like how significant, yeah, like I'll be like, okay, I'm ready to go. Because again, like Kobe passed at like 41 years old. 
but like if you see all of the stuff he did you're like damn this dude looked like a very full life like this this dude lived a pretty full life because it's like yeah. he did so much true so much true. yeah it's insane i love it i yeah, mean what about you what about me <laughs> yeah. has anyone uh, ever like just put it back <laughs> what has anyone like spun it back to you like that? Nah, <laughs> that's the first time. Awesome. <laughs> I'm trying to do like, a too, man. So. But yeah, like when you do your part, like invite me and I'm gonna share. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. sure. <laughs> no, but honestly, no, I agree with you 100%. It's about being able to like impact other people around you. I mean, my main goal with this was like. You know the story behind this podcast and i'm gonna share it fully one day but it's like I, I met someone through my page on instagram who had overcome leukemia brain surgery and all that and yet he went on he was able to overcome all of those and raise over like 100k for the leukemia society and like i i saw that i was having an impact through like what i thought was a small page where you know few people were like people were liking but i was not realizing that behind those likes were people with stories and their own lives and you know so it got me the idea of like doing something that can impact people i think yeah the 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 worth of someone's life is measured by how many people you're able to impact like impact in a positive way like you know and there is no yeah there's nothing better than that in my opinion yeah and but you know you, you're like mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and honestly, man, like, I mean, you're doing that now, you know, like, this what you what you're doing is reaching so many different people and things like that, and it's like that's why I I I really took my hat off to like content creators, you know, because especially in this age, man, you can just express yourself and impact people, you know, at any age, at any you know, socioeconomic status, no matter how much money you have, all you need to do is have a good camera, a nice mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. it. Like, you gotta, yeah. True, true. But honestly, Emmanuel, you know, this was my pleasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for like being on the show. Like, I think it was important to have this. I'm really glad that, you know, I mean, I reached out literally last night and they were like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, Wait a minute, it's like 4 a.m. Man. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I really wanted to like capture this because I think it's important that we all do our part. I think my part is as a storyteller, like, I try to share stories that can inspire people. And it, now I think this was important that, uh, that, that we do something like this. And thank you for sharing your story with us, you know. Like, thank you for letting us into your world and really understanding. And I hope that people take something of value out of this. If anyone wants to reach out to you, like, what is the best way uh, to reach you? Um, wow. <laughs> in what capacity? Like, Instagram? Or... Yeah, whatever you want. Like, people give Instagram, LinkedIn, email, whatever you want. It's up to you. Okay, yeah, yeah. What so, is the best way? Uh, my Instagram is Y-A-M-O-A-H underscore. I'm going to add it. You can probably yeah. add it, yeah. And also, um, for anybody that's hiring, uh, you know, my, I can put my LinkedIn as well. So, you know I me. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank yeah, you so awesome. much. Thank you very much for listening. If you have a question about a previous episode or if you would like to share something positive, I would really, really love to hear from you. So you can go to SpeakPipe.com 
spakeoutpodcast.com slash T-P-O-G-I. That is S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash T-P-O-G-I. Thank you very much.